0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to another exciting episode of Frights the Roundtable. I'm your host, Jonathan Moody. Uh, before I get to my guests, I'd like to remind everyone to like us on Facebook at Frights the Roundtable or follow us on Twitter at R and uh, follow us on Instagram at Frights the Roundtable. Uh, tonight's guests, I have been on the uh, Independent Corner radio show before, but this is their first time being on Frights the Roundtable. Uh, first guest is Lee Scott. How are you doing, Lee?
0: I'm doing good, Jonathan. How are you?
1: Yeah. Great. Great. Um, and, uh, next guest is, uh, Mitchell A. Jones. How you doing, Mitchell?
2: I'm doing good. Can't complain. How you doing?
1: <laughs> pretty good. All right. Um, and also can't complain. So for those who are not familiar, familiar with the show or just joining us for the first time, I'll be asking both of my uh, guests pretty much the same questions and get their input as we hopefully generate some sort of discussion. Um, so here we go. Uh, first question right off the bat is, uh, did, you guys, did you guys go to film school, or do you think it's uh, needed these days to go to film school? Uh, Lee?
0: Uh, I did go to film school. I went to uh, USC's film school. And I used to tell people, you know, don't bother with film school. Just take the money and go out there and make a movie. You know, you learn more on set than you will in class. But then over the last few years, I just keep seeing all these really – really bad movies getting made. So now I think maybe I was wrong to say that. Maybe (laughs) some people actually could use some film school, um, some basic training. I mean, one of the problems that I see now, though, is that a lot of people come out of film school uh, and they sort of have this idea that, well, I went to film school and therefore I should be directing a Marvel film, you know, six months after I graduate or I should be at Sundance, you know, next year. And so I think film school kind of gives people a, a wrong sense of entitlement in a way. But uh, I did enjoy my time at USC, and uh, I would say for the majority of people, some sort of training and and film school would probably be a good idea.
1: Right before we get to to Mitchell's answer, did did you learn anything from film school that had helped you uh, basically with your first project?
0: Well, I mean, you know, my first project I did, I I financed it, and and my entire crew and, and a lot of my cast were people I'd met in college. It was my fraternity and you know, people I knew there. And, and definitely the contacts I made going to USC have helped me out immensely throughout my career. You know, my attorney, my old agent, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, I don't think I learned too much technically in film school because the technology changes, you know, changed so fast between the point where I went to film school and now. Um, but in terms of huh. film theory and film history and being able to see You know, see all those great movies, those classic films on the big screen to be able to sort of watch the progression of film and film technology over the years, like actually see the movies, not just see like a documentary about them. I think that was also beneficial. So I absolutely learned a lot. And like I said, I mean, the contacts I made and the friendships that I made there lasted, you know, my entire life.
1: And just so people know, that that first movie, was that Beach House or was that Art House?
0: No, it's called Beach House. And it
1: was, okay, no,
0: because uh, there's yeah, two. Yeah, it's funny. Art House is actually a sequel. It's actually Art House is actually a sequel to Beach House, in that it's about the guy who made Beach House. Uh, so Beach House is actually in the movie Art House. It's very weird. It's very meta. It was, <laughs> it was, it was the late '90s, and it was just a weird, weird time for film. Um, but yeah, that no, was my first film called Beach House. I, I made a, a sort of fun beach comedy. I'd worked for Roger Corman in one of the films that I. Uh, worked in the marketing department for, and put the ad campaign together. It was a movie called Body Waves. And I remember watching it going like, man, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen, and it's made so much money. Why does it make so much money? And they were like, oh, because it's got hot chicks and bikinis in it, and we made it for, you know, under $300,000, so that's why it worked. And so I said, oh, really? Okay, so if I make a movie for $300,000, and I put girls in bikinis in it, then I can make a bunch of money, too. And, and, and that didn't <laughs> happen. But but that was
1: why I did it the first time. Uh, Mitchell, uh, did you go to film school?
2: <laughs> uh, briefly.
1: <laughs> briefly, um,
2: it, it's kind of an interesting. Yeah, I mean it's kind of summing up what we what were saying. You know, it, it's good for certain people. Some people need structure; they do need to learn. Um, I do think there's a lot of resources out there now that, if you took the time, you know, you can learn a great deal just by, you know online or books or just getting on set and practicing um i actually started going to a four-year university and i quickly learned that it was an absolute waste of money not that necessarily film school was but that university was because film was not a major focus um it was just a a college in ohio and i worked with a couple seniors on a 48-hour film race and they had no clue and it was a consensus with all the seniors They, they didn't know what they were doing they didn't own gear. Um, it was a disaster. So I actually took my tuition, dropped out, and bought a bunch of gear and just started teaching myself, you know, just getting on set as much as I can. And one thing is, you know, when you do get the degree, you know, kind of like you are saying earlier, it doesn't make you entitled to direct a major film. Most likely, you're going to be a PA. You know, you got to start from the bottom. I mean, it's a very hands-on, you know, art and skill. So some people need the structure, so I think the film school is great for them. Others who are you know, self-motivated and just have a natural talent, I think you can hone the skills if you really apply yourself and just get on set, practice with a camera or, you know, practice directing or editing or whatever, you know, your forte is. So I think it really depends on the person.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: Um,
1: You know, I I ask this because, you know, a lot of people, I, I believe, as you said, Mitchell, that people can learn a lot from the books. Like, you know, there's tons of books out there on, on directing and um, you know and and different in yeah. filmmaking, period. But you know it it does probably help. I've never gone to film school, so I wouldn't know. But I'm sure it it does help to have like that structure and actually knowing you know from other people's uh
2: you know um, how how
1: to do it you know and the connection as well. I, I, um,
2: the big the big thing is just practice. Get out there, get on set, make you know 20 bad short films So whatever it takes. Just keep practicing and be humble enough to keep learning and trying to do better. I think that's the key is people make something and they're convinced it's gold. And it's, you gotta be really, you know, just be realistic, be humble, learn, and just keep learning. That's, that's what I stress.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, now when you do a, uh, when you develop a project, how do you find your inspiration for, it? uh, Lee? Uh,
0: it depends. I mean, things sort of come in different ways. When I worked at the asylum, they literally would wake me up and say, we need a movie about an exorcism because they're doing an exorcist movie in theaters next month, so <laughs> write something by tomorrow. And so that was my inspiration while working there. Um, and <laughs> I sort of uh,
1: <laughs> Hello? Please, we... Mitchell, are you there? Okay. I'm, I'm still here. I think we lost Lee.
2: I think Asylum offered and give away their secrets and (laughs) cut off the line (laughs) I hope not Uh, Hey Lee if you can hear
1: us uh, call back in or something because it still says he's on but I don't know crap that's really weird Um, well alright let's go Let's go to you first, uh, Mitchell. I guess, and then we'll wait for a leader. <laughs> <on
2: that>. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Developing inspiration for projects. I guess I don't know. I mean, it just yeah, you just get an idea, or a lot of times for me, music is really inspiring. I'll listen to just like instrumental tracks and stuff. That's kind of in a mood like a tour because that's what I like writing. Um, but inspiration strikes. The, any time, any day, doing anything, you know, if you're staring at a screen trying to be inspired, that's when it's not going to happen. You just have to, you know, go about your day or whatever. I mean, it's, you can't, you can't force it, you know, you just got to try to
1: yeah.
2: let it come naturally. I mean, which is kind of frustrating too, but, you know, it, it just strikes when it wants to strike, I guess.
1: All right. Uh, we we do have Lee back on. Uh, sorry, I don't know. We were saying that maybe the asylum uh, <laughs> heard, heard what you were doing and, and took you out. Right? Right there. They <laughs> cut the power. They cut the cell power right as
0: I was trash talking them. They are more powerful than I thought they were. <laughs> cut them a of
1: a Um. So uh, did you want to continue with that? Or are you, uh, I'm afraid well, to. I guess now. We'll find I'm out. i terrified. I don't want to
0: swat people at my door deck. No, I was just gonna. I was just gonna finish it up and say that you know it it just strikes me in different places, different ways. Like I said, I have a bunch of ideas that I've had since I was little, and then all of a sudden someone will say, "I need a family film," or I'll notice a trend in movies or in the markets, and I'll say, "Oh, you know, this idea that I had at some point in my life might fit for that." So I don't. It's hard to say where it comes from. It just kind of happens. Yes, definitely. yeah. so
1: the next uh next one is uh well okay so in in you know in the kind of the spirit of the same question um how do you know if, if your story is worth telling um Lee? um
0: I don't know i think uh, that's a really tough question because I don't think anybody really ever knows that. I think that part of that depends on the execution, so you could have a really great story that needs to be told and you could screw it up, and therefore it's not, not <laughs> what it's telling at that point but but um, you know in general I think there's you know while, while we said earlier you should be humble and learn I think there's a certain arrogance to being a writer and being a filmmaker where you just think everything you think of needs to be said and needs to go out there and I think that you, you sort of have an internal barometer an internal filter that says okay well this is, this is cool what happened to me on the way to Starbucks but I don't know if that makes a movie or not Whereas other of people I don't think have that filter and they make the movie about their day at Starbucks.
1: So. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> uh, what do you think, Mitchell?
2: Um, for me, I mean, I guess, is it something that I would watch? You know, I mean, at the end of the day, film is entertainment. You know, some people can take a real existential approach and try to change the world, but... Um, do I think it's entertaining or is it something I would watch? Then, you know, sure, take a stab at it. But you have to be realistic, you know. Is it a fully fleshed out idea? Is it a scene? Is it, you know, people will take the dumbest concepts and try to turn it into a feature and you're like, come on, like, it just doesn't work, you know. So kind of like you're saying, you you do have to judge that. Everybody's got to judge it for themselves. But, you know, my test is would I watch this? Is it something that I would watch? Because if I wouldn't watch it, why would I make a story about it or, you know, film? You know, I think that's the big key. Yeah,
1: Yep. definitely. Um, now, uh, what is a typical day on set for you guys? Like, um, Lee?
0: Uh, um, well, there's never a typical day. I
1: mean, that's,
0: that's kind of why we do this. I mean, every time you jump into a movie, it's a different, you know, different crew, different type of film usually. I mean, for me, I've done stuff all over the map. So the horror movies feel different than the kid films and the fantasy films and the action films. Um, but usually the, the lower the budget, the more you feel like you're constantly putting out fires and like waiting for like the next shoe to drop, um, <laughs> the bigger the budget, the more controlled it is and the more you feel like, oh, I can actually like focus on my job today. So it just, it really varies on <laughs> the film. I mean, I try, I try to yeah, keep but- the, the attitudes, the attitudes fun and light and I try to make sure people know that this isn't the end of the world, but it's also very important and serious and people who are doing it. And, uh, you know, I try to ride the line between that sort of professional and then a bunch of kids making a, a show in the backyard. I think that's important that people, <laughs> don't get, people don't get too caught up in themselves and their jobs and their professional titles and blah, 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 and just be like, hey, like, we're all here to do something cool, so let's do that and not freak the hell out.
1: Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what about you, Mitchell?
2: Mine would be the latter half, the constantly putting out fires and waiting for the other you know, shoe to drop sort of thing. Uh, the joys of micro to no budget filmmaking, just um, hectic. I mean, you you can organize and plan and map everything out, but when it comes down to it, I mean, you're wearing multiple hats on set. You know, it's it's wrangling kittens. I mean, you're just you know you're just doing your best to try to keep things on task. Obviously, you're having a good time and you try to keep the mood you know up. And we, every time we're done with the set whether it's crew or actors, they always said they had a blast and they'd you know, totally come work with us again and that's important, but ultimately you get something that you're proud of too so it isn't just some, you know, futile attempt of a really bad 48 or something, you know, like you are creating something that people can be proud of um, but it's, it's busy, you know independent film is, it sounds like fun and then, you know, people jump into this and they realize there's a lot of hard work a lot of long days but it's a passion, you know yeah, definitely.
1: Um, now I guess going with that um as well, um, hey, what what's the difference what do you think is the difference between a good director and a bad director? Uh Lee. <laughs> well, you know, I for a while I was
0: producing sort of um mid range films for studios like Lionsgate and Anchor Bay and stuff like that, which was very lucrative but also very frustrating. And, you know, I would say the bad directors always were they – were, they were not not just not team players, they were not team leaders. And your show has to have a director who everybody feels kind of close to and feels like they can work with and that they want to work for. And so the worst directors are the ones who sort of have this sort of corporate mentality about it where it's like it's their show, their vision – they're constantly blaming everybody else for everything and they're constantly you know, double checking on people and just really busy bodies and everybody else is nonsense and not, and not in a good way because as a director you have to sort of be involved in everything a little bit, but not in a good way. And I think the other thing that they do is that they manage to find the least interesting way to do things. Like we would shoot, you know, <laughs> entire scenes and I would look at the dailies and I'd be like, why are they shooting that in the corner of this restaurant? Like, why would they, why would he stage the two actors in those two chairs out of the four at the table, because if you use the other two chairs, you've got the entire restaurant behind them and they've got depth and you've got interesting opportunities for lighting. Well, he didn't think there were enough extras and it looked cheap. And I'm like, Oh, but shooting somebody up against a white wall, that, that doesn't look cheap (laughs) to you really. And so it's just, it's just just weird choices that they make, you know, And, and you, and you really get the sense that it's a, it's a sense of insecurity. And like I said, you have to have a little bit of confidence and a little bit of ego when you do this job, just because everyone's kind of looking to you and counting on you. And so the bad directors, like I said, are the ones that don't have that and sort of, you know, treat it as a paycheck or on the reverse, treat something that's not artistic as something that's like their, you know, artistic oeuvre they're going to make some amazing movie when they don't have the other tools and, and ability to do that. So, and also just like I said, making weird choices, like weird – weird costume and weird that we had one guy who like always wanted revolvers in the movie. And I'm like, we always cool guns here. No, it's gotta be a revolver, bro. And I'm like, that looks just not 1938. Like, what are you talking about? Why, what are you
1: doing?
2: Uh, Good answer. Uh, What do you think, Mitchell? Uh, I mean, I think you nailed it. I think what stems off that is a bad director is is a lack of vision. If if you don't have a vision, you can't do anything. You can't lead the ship. You can't lead the crew. You know, if you don't know what you want, then it's chaos on set. Um, You're going to get conflicting visuals. The story's not being told. The actors don't know what they're doing. They may be doing two different types of performances throughout the scene. Like, you just need someone who has a vision. Whether it's right or wrong, have a vision, you know, and that's, to me, that's a big thing. Um but it's also it's a collaborative medium. you need to stick to your guns, but you also need to take suggestions and if you're working with people who are more experienced, you know lean on them, use that, learn from that don't think you have all the answers and I think it's it's kind of this fine line of give and take where you have to lead, but you don't want to be a dictator because then you're going to get shitty performances or a shitty crew or you know I think it's it's a juggling act you have to speak everybody's language and still keep everything on task and on focus and, you know, it's kind of that tight wire act. Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, have you ever, have you guys ever cast someone and realized later they weren't right for the part? And how do you handle that? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, yeah, it happens. It happens a lot. Um, but, you know, on the smaller films, when you're shooting like in nine days or 10 days, you, you know, the luxury of reshooting or recasting. So you start figuring out ways to sort of like manipulate the performance and you start doing sneaky rewrites in your hotel room. Like, Oh, well, we're going to change the scene and give her those lines instead of you, because it's better for the end. You got to try to sell that to the bad actor or the miscast actor. I won't go as far as to say bad, although it occasionally happens because <laughs> some people are, some people are really good at auditions and are not good actually on set. And so that you encounter that once in a while. Um, and then in the case of, like, name actors, you know, a lot of times it's, it's that they're great actors, sure, but their personality or their you know requirements or whatever don't sort of fit the production you're in. And you, and you find that a lot at the mid-range movies where the producers will, you know, pull off some strings and play some, con, you know, some contacts. And all of a sudden you get this big actor, and the big actor shows up, and there's, like, the six of us in the garage, you know, with our red camera going, hi, welcome to our set. And they just walked off a huge movie and now they're going to be grumpy and pissed off because they're in your garage and not a huge movie. Even if they're getting a big paycheck, they don't care. So you get those situations. And I've only had the luxury of, of I, I was able to, on one show, I think it was, I, I, I replaced the actress later. Like I got to go back and reshoot stuff to replace her. And then in one big show, I got to fire a name actor, but he never got on set. He was just so difficult through his agent manager that I went to the producers and I was like, do we really need this guy to sell this movie? Can we we not find somebody else who's been in 90 B movies to to fill that spot real quick? I mean, do we have to have him? And they were like, yeah, no, if you're you're right, it's not worth it. So, but yeah, it does happen.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, um, (laughs) um,
2: Mitchell. I I like that. Not bad actors, but miscast. I (laughs) would just feel that. Um, It's, yeah, I mean, Again, working on micro-budgets, which is the world I'm in, you don't have the luxury to recast or reshoot. It's like you kind of grit your teeth, you go with it, but then there's always the beauty of the edits where you can also tweak things and um, try to work your way around that, but it it's tough. definitely been in that situation, um, but the thing is, having done that before, now the emphasis on casting uh, is is so much more. So now, you know, moving forward on projects, you're really crucial about who you cast and, you know, running auditions and things like that and doing kind of these mini screen tests and things like that so you can try to minimize the chances of it happening again. So, you know, it can be kind of a a blessing in disguise. It's it's all about learning. So, yeah, definitely uh, been there. All right.
1: Um I'm gonna this next question is gonna be like specific to movies that you guys just did. So um first the you know, first one uh is uh what's the most difficult decision you had to make on Piranha Shark um lease.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised you had asked me who the actor I fired was. Most people would have been like, Who was it? Who
1: was it?
2: <laughs> but you know, you because know, kudos Hi.
0: to because you 'cause 'cause you're avoiding lawsuits <laughs> and that sort of tabloid
2: thing. You don't want to be a tabloid yes. show. Is no, zero that's, zero not, zero that's not that's not my plan. Yeah, this is Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> yeah. No,
0: the, uh, uh, the sure. hardest part about the, the hardest part about Piranha Sharks actually was just kind of letting that movie go. It was one of those shows that, you know, I was very uh very involved with and there were just a lot of personality and a lot of producer clashes on it where at a certain point, you know, I'm the kind of person that like Fights to the death on stuff, and especially if I like the film, and I thought that movie, you know, really needed to get sort of a a better distribution mode and a better marketing plan. And at a certain point of like fighting and arguing with people who, you know, were just concerned about money and not making good choices, and still not sure 100% what was going on with where the money went, um, I just had to let it go and say, you know what, like I'm not going to share a Facebook post and let it. It'll be what it is, and maybe at some point I'll hire somebody to go audit it and see what happened to it. But I can't, I can't waste my life on a film that, you know, took up a few months of my life. I can't let this take a few years of my life. So that was tough because I actually enjoyed that film and I made that film with a lot of really good friends. And I think that the movie is, it's one of the more special ones in the sense that it's actually a really tight, solid little genre movie. It's, it's really funny. And I just feel like it got kind of brushed over that it wasn't handled right. But like I said, I had to I had to say goodbye at a certain point.
1: Well, I mean, it is. I guess it is distributed on Amazon Prime, so it's it's got a, it's out there a little bit, you know.
0: It is, but it's one of those so. things where if you you know if you really did push it and market it right and use social media, it, because it is basically a parody of the Sci-Fi Channel movies and the Asylum movies. It's a comedy, and it's just not, you know, it's in no way, shape, or form being sold that way or even aggressively being sold at all, which is disappointing, but, you know, it is what it is.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: Um, What about you, Mitchell, Uh, for uh, After the Dawn? Um, I would say the hardest thing, aside from actually shooting it, we had, I'd say for 80% of the film, we had, like, no extra crew. So it was literally me running camera, sound, directing, doing it all. It was it made like a two-person up doing the whole thing. It was kind of a nightmare, but it was fun, I guess. Um, but we, the first thing we shot was the end of the film, and we brought on all the effects. We were a great effects artist here from Minneapolis, and we drove like four hours away from uh, our home base into Wisconsin to, to film the final scene, and it was an all-night shoot, uh, like negative 20 out in the middle of winter. But because we didn't, It was the first, you know, shoot that we did for the film. This was obviously a while ago. Um, It didn't turn out well. The lighting was was atrocious. We actually brought on a crew for this, but everybody kind of dropped the ball um, because we didn't have a rhythm going into it. And we got back, ran through the dailies, and we had to scrap everything. And we just said, okay, well, moving forward, you know, we kind of got a game plan, but... Making that decision, knowing you spent the money, all the time and energy, you know, it ended up getting chopped up into behind-the-scenes featurettes and stuff, so it still exists somewhat, but just having to make that decision of, wow, we literally just blew all this money, we didn't get what we needed, but, you know, for the sake of the film, you can't just put it in there because you shot it, you know. So I think that was one of the hardest parts of, you know, just dealing with that, especially on a first feature film, and it was definitely a big ordeal. All right.
1: Um, I guess this is going to be the last question before we find out what you guys been up to um, and everything. Um, uh, do you classify yourself as a visual director, an actors director, or a little bit of both? Uh, please.
0: Um, interesting question. I think I think a little bit of both, but I will say that I do tend to lean on the visuals to help tell the story. Uh, I'm not big on those movies where it's you know. Just shoot coverage and let the people talk. Um, but I definitely think that I try to make the environment good for the actors, and I and I try to let them sort of do their own thing, um, and and just kind of rein them in more than anything else, so they're not too huge. But I but I do I do like big, faster, quick performances, and like I said, I do lean on the visuals, so I'm gonna try to make sure I get more shots rather than more takes if that makes.
1: Yeah,
2: definitely. Um, what about you, Mitchell? Um, I would definitely say visual. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a camera junkie. I love shooting. Um, I think every like every time we're out to shoot, we have someone, the DP or, or a camera op. I end up running camera anyway. I just love framing. I love shooting. But I'm really striving and trying to learn to be more of an acting director. Um, not for talking heads, because I agree with, with like, you have way too much of that. That's just it kills the story. I mean, filmmaking is a visual medium, but more so, so I can help push an actor's performance and really get more range. Cause I think, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, films from like the seventies and, and some of the eighties and stuff where you have these really great performances with not a lot of dialogue. And I think, you know, to get that, you have to have a visual eye first off, cause you gotta have, you know, you want gorgeous shots to complement or evoke emotion. But if I can work with an actor and learn their language to push them to places they wouldn't normally go where they need help going for my vision, I think that's crucial. So for me personally, I'm trying to study and learn more about working with actors so I can be, you know, more of a, a balanced blend.
1: Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, um, you know, let's, uh, let's see what you guys been up to. Lee, what have you been up to lately?
0: Well, I, uh, I've
1: been doing a lot of, uh,
0: commercial work last, like, year or so. Um, but while I've been doing that, I've been working on three. So one is I'm doing a documentary for PBS right now about uh, the city of Gary, Indiana, and uh, sort of the problems that are going on down there. So I'm going to be back and forth to the Gary, Indiana area over the next couple of months if people want to come visit. Um, and then I have a uh, two features, one that we just signed a major – Actor onto and since uh, you didn't want to hear how I fired Eric Roberts, I'm not going to tell you who it is. <laughs> um, so nice. <laughs> that, and that's a that's a female-centric sort of John Wick story, I would say. It's probably the closest thing to it with a female lead. And then I've got another film, which is a uh, fantasy action adventure film with characters that everybody already knows, which is which is cool. And those are both sort of in the the upper echelons of the budgets that I usually work at. So these are. Probably the one will be the biggest film I've ever made in terms of budget and cast. Um, And then also the Penny Dreadful film that I did, we are relaunching it, and we're putting out new episodes online starting next month. So there's going to be like little horror short films that are each set in different time periods. So we kind of took the movie itself, divided it up, because the film was an anthology set in the uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And now we've gone and we've already shot like uh, a silent film from like the 30s, and we've got one from the 50s that we did. So we're we'll starting to those out probably next month. Splashy, um, flashy online format that will make everyone excited.
1: Awesome. Um, how can people reach you if they, uh, you know, social media wise?
0: Uh, you got my Facebook page. It's the real Lee Scott to avoid all the imposters. And uh, I'm also on Twitter <laughs> with the same with the same handle I believe. Uh, I just started using Instagram and uh I keep forgetting to use it, so like, that's my problem. Like I could probably be more effective than <laughs> if I actually used it, but it's like an afterthought, <laughs> like, oh I should have I should've Instagram that damn it. So I have like a hundred
1: followers or <laughs>
0: stupid, but I don't really care. Um and also you can know, you can, the, you can
1: always re Instagram it. You can always post it again anyway. If you want. I know, I know. I know. But it just that sounds like way too much effort now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's already—it's
0: already escaped my—it's escaped my mental purview. It's gone. Um, and uh, let's see. yeah, also email for my company—it's uberfilmscott at gmail. But don't send me scripts though, because then you're gonna say that I stole your script later. It's a big deal. and just. <laughs> that. But actor submissions, that yeah. sort of stuff, crew jobs, whatever.
2: Definitely. Uh, what about you, Mitchell? Um. Been doing sort of the same thing, commercial work. I think that's how, you know, these you know, aspiring filmmakers get to make a living somehow, do tons of commercial work. We just shot a documentary all over Canada uh, for the last few months. And, uh, it's, I mean, just, you know, various commercials and, and things like that. Um, but we're gearing up to do uh, two features uh, this summer. And currently in the middle of um, shooting a segment for an anthology film called American Horror X, um which is being produced by... Couple great filmmakers down in Alabama. Um, we were—I was asked to be a part of that. So shooting segments for that. It's basically um, so ten filmmakers, ten subgenres of horror uh, with ten minutes each. So basically, going to wrap that into a, a pretty cool anthology. That's going to be pretty wicked. But uh, just a couple features and just trying to stay busy and get back into you know shooting more narrative and horror stuff because commercial work great to pay the bills, but sometimes it's Zaps the creative energy out of you because sometimes it's really stale, so it's really nice to get back into shooting narrative again
1: awesome oh yeah Commer- uh, commercials,
2: commercials will destroy you <laughs> yes, yes, it will
1: it seems uh it seems yeah that that is a typical thing uh my friend john johnson uh just shot uh just shoots like a bunch of commercials as well. he just shot one at the winery uh in Williamsburg just a little bit ago, so it's like. You know, like everybody asked them to do that. and It's just crazy. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it's a it's a living, you know, uh if you got the means to do it. I,
2: I definitely I have a question for you though, Jonathan. You. Yeah, what's that? So where are you up to? Well, you got, you know, coming down the pike here?
1: <laughs> I have uh, way too much, shameless stuff right now, so I uh well uh this uh I guess was it uh this Saturday and Sunday I'll be at Tidewater Comic Con shooting my first uh talk series for Indie Corner T V. So we're gonna I'll be interviewing hopefully some really cool people. I know uh Karen Ashley from um from Power Rangers, uh the Yellow Ranger, uh has already agreed oh, nice. to to come you know, to do an interview. So you know, I'll be doing that um, and uh, hopefully one day I'll be like, you know, if I ever meet you guys in person, you know, you guys will be part of the Indie Corner TV thing. You know, essentially when I start really getting it out there. Yep. Um, And so I'm also doing a bunch of web series, uh, The Invited, uh, was it um, Urban Legends to Die for, you know, Scary Story Slumber Parties turning into a web series and few other things, so, I mean, we've just been busy, so, I, I'm really, like, excited about the hearing the Penny Dreadful uh, thing, Lee, because uh, uh, I, I own that movie, and I love it, and uh, so, I was I was disappointed by one thing, I will tell you this, and it's not even a bad disappointment, but it's just, the Boy Scout one should have been, like, one of the movies on it, like, on the regular, not just a bonus. It was so you know, good. It,
0: it, thank you, but it, it shifted, because they sort of packaged it for different markets, and so, like in Europe, for example, it was that way, like the European version has the scout as the other story um but in the u s the distributor wanted it that way they they thought that one was more more appealing in some way I don't know what their logic was they they were a terrible distributor, so clearly their logic is out the window but <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, sort of dividing it up and, um, doing this new thing with it, it's kind of cool to try to brand it as, as, a as a different thing. And also trying to monetize it in a different way, because there was an anthology in the shorts, and they are shorts. I think people might be interested to just, you know, download or watch a segment of it. If they don't want to spend a full, you know, two hours, they can spend anywhere between, you know, three minutes and 30 minutes watching different ones.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, uh, yeah and the, the scout it just felt like a uh, you know Steven Spielberg inspired uh you know or you know kind of thing throwback you know like Yeah that was that was totally yeah, yeah that
0: was totally the plan it was that was the 80s that was the 80s
1: style one Yeah so it was, it was definitely really good but uh know, yeah, the whole thing was great um and uh Thank I'm you. very happy to to own it and everything um but uh and everybody should check out your guys films I know um I know uh, after the dawn is available on uh isn't it available on uh DVD as well as um
2: uh I think online on kingsofhorror.com have it yep. or whatever. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's been a little bit of everywhere. So yeah, I mean there's it's on a ton of sites. So definitely available. And I'll be uh interviewing Nicole
1: tomorrow. So uh, yeah, uh cool. tomorrow night at uh you know, was it uh Independent Corner, so People should check that out. Um, how can people reach you,
2: Mitchell? Um, honestly, a Facebook, uh, just Mitchell A. Jones. Uh, I have an Instagram, which is Director Mitchell Jones. Um, I'm pretty easy to find. Just yeah, hit me up online or you know whatever. All right, and
1: and last question right before we end, what do you guys think about Twitter? Because I know Lee, didn't you you used to really use Twitter a lot more than I think you used Facebook back in the day.
0: Yeah, I was for a while. I don't know. I just Facebook just seems better. Twitter just, I don't know. I, I can't explain it. I've got a bad vibe off Twitter, so I had to I had to ease oh. off. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Oh, what do you think, Mitchell?
2: Do you use Twitter? Um, uh, I have a Twitter. I tried. You know, Twitter confuses the hell out of me because, like, you know, super short messages. They're all like encrypted. I mean, it's like all Greek to me and you know, hashtag this. I it does, I don't get it. I'll I'll do Instagram because it's photo, super simple. Uh, Facebook obviously makes sense to me, but I never got into Twitter because it was always just like four words and a hundred links to something, and it, it just confused me. So that wasn't my thing. I, <laughs> I feel like I feel like the Twitter I want hash- back. Let's just.
1: Well, yeah, and I, no, no, let's not go MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> not, I, no. Right. I, even though i totally met most of you guys from, um, you know, most of the filmmakers and stuff from, but, uh, you know, I, I'll gladly take Facebook. Um, Instagram, I think, I feel like the hashtags are uh, a, little, uh, uh, a little better. I feel like people actually will like my stuff more or whatever and pay yeah. attention to my stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot more yeah. than they will on Twitter because there's way too many people or something. I don't know what is the difference, but it, it, for some reason I get more attention on Instagram than I ever do on Twitter. So I just, after a while, I'll just stop using Twitter kind of, yes, because hopefully soon they'll fix something or whatever, make it better, you know, and, and they're going to have to, because I think a lot more people are leaving it anyway. All right, yeah, well for sure. thank you guys. Thank you guys so much for coming on tonight. It was awesome chatting with you guys. Thank, yeah, thank you. you John. Appreciate, appreciate um, you me on. Is there anything else you guys wanna say to your fans out there?
2: Um Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I have fans? What is it? <laughs> uh just you don't know, support independent films. I mean that's the big thing. There's everybody complains about Hollywood reboots of you know, go support local artists and people trying to do something different take a chance.
0: Yeah, good yeah, words, good works. words. I agree with that.
2: <laughs>
1: That'll be his last words, too. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you guys so much. Uh, you guys are welcome back anytime. Um, and uh, oh, have a great night, you. everyone. Thank you. Good night. Bye.